Before we kick off the show, I just want to say, welcome freaking back, babies. We missed you so freaking much. Cam and myself are so happy to be back on a podcast together. And I really just want to come in here before we start to just say, uh, we're going to be sticking in this feed. The new revamp podcast is going to be in this same feed. So stay subscribed to it. You don't have to do any freaking weird stuff like subscribing to a new channel. It's all going to be in here. And so are the old Total Reboot episodes. They're going to stick around in here for the freaking foreseeable future. However long that may be, we'll be in here. So don't fret. All the old stuff you love is here and all the new stuff you're about to freaking love will also be here. Enjoy this first episode back. It is a freaking treat. And there'll be many more treats soon. <laughs> All right, welcome to Special Features with Cameron and Alexi. My name is Cameron James, and I'm sitting on a lounge next to Alexi Toliopoulos. Wow, Cameron, it is great to be back on the mic with you, and mm-hmm. great to be on the lounge with you for the first time. This is the first time we've podcasted kind of facing the same direction. And it's actually the first time we've ever podcasted while sitting on a couch. Often. Not true. We're both standing, moving around, running. <laughs> That's not true. We have podcasted on a lounge before, mm-hmm. but it is sporadic, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. We are often in hard-backed chairs. Absolutely. Our posture is perfect. Mm-hmm. But here today, look at us. We're like a couple of friggin'. <sighs> I don't even know what. It's a. Cu- <laughs> it's the first time I've ever felt relaxed doing a podcast. It's very uh, renaissance. You know, it like I picture a sort of lounging mm-hmm. and we're being fed grapes mm-hmm. and again i've just noticed i'm missing a button on this shirt yeah. and i keep looking at it yeah and i keep looking at it too what's in there uh, it's a little exciting a little you... treat for the for little old me hopefully none of these guys can see it but you can have a squeeze if you want <laughs> oh my god it's a glorious peephole you've got there <laughs> but cam it is so good to be back on the mic with you we mm-hmm. are rebooting reinvigorating our new podcast mm-hmm. which is basically what we want to do is we're both pop culture vultures. We are mm. both fiends of the silver screen and the little screen known as television. <laughs> and we wanted to kind of find a new way to explore culture, to explore pop culture, mm. bring you our findings, bring the listener some findings, some things to take away, some things to watch, some things to listen to, some things to read, all that kind of stuff. And mm. we want to do it in a new way, which is more emphasis on you and I and our abilities to freaking mock around on a microphone. We're having fun. We're having fun. This is a sillier kind of podcast that we've been doing. We think of it as the DVD bonus extras, Mm -hmm. the special features, if you will. if you will. Where it's just the kind of creators chilling out, Mm -hmm. talking about stuff, you know, riffing about the the things that they've just made usually. (laughs) And sometimes you even get some stills from Mm. that. Oh my God. I love still galleries. My favorite. An EPK. Or bios. I remember when DVDs you just have bios. It's like, great, let me just read three pages of information. (laughs) Clicking along on the screen. Wow, so Mike Myers was born in in Canada. Canada. Wow. Good grief. And he spent a few years abroad in England. Wow. (laughs) My favourite DVD uh, special feature that I've ever seen, and this is early days DVDs, Mm -hmm. sometimes it would say special features, scene selection. Yeah. 
Uh, that is the good stuff. That's a very special feature. I still remember getting my first DVDs and being like, wow, you can skip around like that. I could watch this movie in any order I choose. I, oh, that's great. You can put bookmarks in. Great. <laughs> I can come back to this moment. And I still remember when I watched Mulholland Drive for the first oh, time. Wow. And that did not have a skip selection because David Lynch was like, no way, Jose. You watched the movie the way I designed it. Incorrect order at the time that the movie runs for. You can't skip around. And that's amazing of him mm. because I hate scene selection. I hate chapter skipping. And you wow. know what I really hated? When Netflix uh, first put out that Arrested Development series mm-hmm. and part of the marketing of it was it's all going to drop all at once. You can watch it in any order you want. Wow. And then Mitch Hurwitz was like, no, 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 no. I never said <laughs> don't that. Do that. Don't why, do that. Is, why are people saying this? <laughs> Turn the shuffle function off. Please Turn the shuffle don't function do off. that. Watch it in order. I mean, you can do that, but yeah. why would you? Why would you? That's crazy. That is crazy. But that's the way the future works, man. And that's the way this podcast is going. You can listen to any episode, <laughs> not just in the order we put them out. You can listen to them in any order you want. <laughs> all right. Shall we dive in? Let's get into it. We're going to start by talking about some weird and interesting stories that are happening right now in pop culture. Mm. And I think the biggest story of the year right now in the realm of cinema and cinematic releases is The Behemoth. That is Barbie. (laughs) I think this is going to be far and away the biggest movie of the year. Really? I do think it's going to break like, I think it's going to break a billion. I think it's going to break a billion. I think it's going to break a bill? I think it's going to break a billion hearts when people know that Barbie is not real. It's a fictional character. Are you, you seriously think it's going to be the biggest movie of the year? Oh, I'm trying to think what its big competitions are going to be. Mission Impossible? Mission Impossible has never broken a billion. Mission Impossible has never broken the bill. It's never broken a bill. I think I can't. I don't have that locked. You're in a big my head. box office guy. <laughs> I love talking box office. <laughs> you're obsessed with the I'm, BO. I don't know if I am obsessed with the BO, but I have. <laughs> well, you certainly got some interest. <laughs> well, it's harder than these lights, brother. What can I do? <laughs> I, I think uh, it's I, the box office fascinates me because it is like a way of fi- figuring out what people are interested in, yeah, and then what studios will be investing the next, you know, f- f- ten years into. Sure, and I think Barbie it. Would you say it's poised? It is poised to break a bill. (laughs) But I think it is perhaps uh, like a historically significant marketing campaign Mm. because no one can escape the chatter around this Barbie movie. I think it's got a combination of elements being like perfect cast, great talent behind the camera that is quite exciting in Greta Gerwig, hitting at the right time. Uh, and it's like a real four quadrant movie where I think people that uh, love Barbie, grew up with Barbie, will be interested. It also appeals to people that are film buffs and cinephiles. Uh, mm. You know, I think it is a full spread of like everyone will see this movie. And Barbie is up there with like Spider Man and Mickey Mouse as definitive icons of Western popular culture. Mm. They haven't been able to figure out a Mickey Mouse movie since like 1933 or some shit. My brother, Steamboat Willie slaps. (laughs) And it still holds up. It's exciting. It holds up. It has dated very well. But I think that um, this is the, it appears to be a film that has figured out how to use the aesthetics of Barbie. And the aesthetics are so strong very shareable on social media and it hasn't even come out yet. And it's already making such a storm because of like how good, not just this marketing campaign, but it's campaign in general is working, tying it into Oppenheimer, having them on the same day. Like there's so many different elements to it that people will be studying this in film school and marketing classes 
forever, I think. Barbie versus Oppenheimer coming out on the same day takes me back to Kanye's graduation wow. and 50 Cent's, whatever that album was, coming out on the same <laughs> and day. And I wonder who the clear winner was in that <laughs> fight. Well, I'm a big Curtis guy. Yeah, of course. We love Curtis Stone, the, the <laughs> chef. So you really think like this could be the biggest movie of the year? You think it's uh, Mission Impossible is no competition for it? Yeah, I mean, Mission Impossible already it got eked out of IMAX. Mm. To put Oppenheimer in there. What about um, Indiana Jones? It could, it could come back. <laughs> I don't it could think come so. back, man. I don't think it, so. The fedora could fight back. I, I, I don't think so. I like the Indiana Jones movie. It was a very nice experience. I gained a lot of pleasure from seeing that movie in the cinema. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, but I think uh, I actually think we're kind of almost at we're at a different stage of the nostalgia cycle that we're in. Hmm. And I think, you know, Indiana Jones's failure to light the box office up, Flash featuring freaking Michael Keaton coming up as Batman. Yeah. That has done absolutely fuck shit at the box office. It's done fuck all, brother. <laughs> it's like, no one's going to see that. Have you seen it? Of course not. What are you, crazy? Can you imagine going back to yourself <laughs> 10 years ago and going, there's going to be another movie with uh, Michael Keaton as I Batman. know. And you didn't go insane. see it? I still didn't go see I it. I got no inch. I'll never see this movie. No, no. I'll watch it like, you I've know. I've seen clips that people filmed <laughs> on their phones on Twitter. <laughs> I can imagine watching it like three years' time, just on the TV, and then I'm getting up, like, you know, taking pisses and craps at the time, coming back and watching it. <laughs> How many it. craps do you think you do during The Flash? Probably two. Yeah. I reckon one it's a at the two start, one in the middle, and then one at the end to digest the film. <laughs> but Mattel uh, seemed to be pretty pumped on this Barbie thing, right? Yes. I've seen some news. There's some heaps of news around Barbie. Barbie is just the beginning. Mattel has 45 movies in development based on their toys. Shut the fuck up. I'm not kidding you. It's got 45, 45 movies. What other toys do they have? Well, there are are s- they giving one movie to each fucking Hot Wheel toy? Well, Hot Wheels <laughs> is one of the films. 13 of the films have been announced so far, Hot Wheels being one of them, and it has got talent attached. Who? J.J. Abrams, <laughs> one of our favourite guys. Jar Jar Abrams. Yes, Mr. Lighting Feature himself. Mr. Bad Robot. Oh, regarding Henry himself, who's popping back <laughs> in, the Wunderkind behind the Harrison Ford dramatic classic Jesus regarding Christ. Henry. And so hang on, JJ is attached to direct a Hot Wheels movie? Well, he's... Or is he EPing it? He is, at the moment, I believe that it is from his mind. A long time ago, oh Fast and Furious director Justin Ling was originally set to be attached to it. I'd so- love to see what that guy would do with a car movie. Wow. Well, let me tell you what he's going to do with it. He says it's going to be emotional and grounded and gritty. This is Hot Wheels. Yeah, Hot Wheels. It's going to be emotional. It's going to be emotional. Emotional like uh, and grounded. Let and me give gritty. you the quote. For a long time, we were talking to Mattel about Hot Wheels and we couldn't quite find the thing that clicked. That made it worthy of a Hot, Wheel, of hot Wheels. That <laughs> title. They're talking about that it like title. it's this incredibly like beloved text. He was, yeah, he's like, the title deserves more. No, it doesn't. 
<laughs> then we came up with something. If you look at a box for Hot Wheels that says recommended age three. I actually think even that font does not deserve to be looked in like with, with that kind of aspect. That's outrageous. And so, you know, the, when I think about Hot Wheels, I'm thinking about like you can get a car that is shaped like any kind of pop culture character sure. turned into a car. Sure, yeah. And it's like, that's what I want to see. You get like a My Dinner with Andre car or something. <laughs> I was about to say, that's what I want to see in the movie. I don't want to see anything in this movie. It's I'll never watch this. And then also Hot Wheels, the other thing is, it's like, it's loop the loops. You got a lot of loop yeah. the loops. I mean, I hope they got those. If they don't have a loop the loops, I'm going to go freaking poop the poops. That's going to be my review for the movie. <laughs> my official movie, Hot Wheels. More, not loop the loops, more like poop the poops. I did six poops while watching this movie. <laughs> a record for me. That's four more than Flash. But this is so funny. That title deserved more. Then he explained, then we came up with something, dot, 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 emotional and grounded and gritty. Is this guy fucked in the head? <laughs> Has he crazy. just like, did he just read the pitch doc of every like superhero movie from 2004 onwards? I, man, Emotional, I, grounded and gritty and acting like that's the most groundbreaking thing you could ever bring to IP. I don't know. It's so strange. That's because- what everyone does. Yeah. No one has, you know, I would, it would be really refreshing mm-hmm. if J.J. Abrams said, yeah, we couldn't figure it out. And then we looked at it and we're like, hey, it's a bunch of fucking kids toys with yeah. loop-de-loops. <laughs> And then we figured out, hey, let's put some fucking loop-de-loops yeah. in this movie so people don't poop to poop. We got a, we got a kid <laughs> from the neighborhood to write this movie, and we think that's what it's going to be. Like, why would anyone want to see a gritty, grounded uh, movie about toy cars? I I honestly don't know. Am I, I don't know. Stupid, or is he a fucking idiot? <laughs> Well, I can't figure it out. There's only two options. There's only two <laughs> one options. One of us sucks. But can you imagine you go, like, one day you just go, wow, he was right. The gritty, grounded, and heck, I'm so glad I cried while watching Hot Wheels. It was emotional. I just don't know. I don't know. It seems strange to me. But there are many more projects coming out of there. Well, what uh, else have they even got? I couldn't name another Mattel toy. Well, okay, let me tell you some of the toys. So perhaps you can dream up a film around them. Okay. The Magic 8-Ball is coming out as a horror comedy. I'm actually into yeah, that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that, appeals to me. That. that appeals to you me. You know, you, you lost me at Magic 8-Ball. You had me at horror comedy. Yeah, exactly. And I, that's how I like to do those things. I'll say something <laughs> you go, hang on a second. No, thank you. Then I'll say the next thing and go, where the tick? Yeah. Consider me intrigued. I'm intrigued. And you know who would be perfect casting for this movie? Dax Shepard. Oh, he deserves to be in a freaking freaking I, Mattel picture. I think he should be the Magic Eight Ball. Like you rock, you you shake the ball, and his head is spinning around on the inside. You're going, whoa! Don't shake me so hard. Oh yeah, I got something to reveal to you guys. Better luck next time. <laughs> yeah, Outlooks looks awesome. <laughs> uh, here's another one: Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Now they already did that. Real Steel. Real Steel. Hugh Jackman. Huge jacked off man. I like that movie. <laughs> no, you don't. I do. It's fun. Have you seen it? Obviously not. It's fun. <laughs> I reckon it. it is underrated. Oh, but it's essentially Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Yeah, right? essentially Rock'em Sock'em Robots. And you, here's the talent you, is, attached. In that movie, am I imagining this? But is it like a Pacific Rim type thing where you're wearing like a mech? nano suit and you're controlling the movements of the robot it's something like that at least at a certain point well then what can they do with rock'em sock'em because that's already the that's the definitive uh fighting robot text well they have (laughs) i've never seen they have a well-known actor (laughs) attached to produce and star in it can i guess yeah dwayne the rock johnson you're very close think about his greatest nemesis and enemy 
Kevin the Rock Hart. <laughs> it is actually Vin Diesel. Huh. And if he said we're going to make it emotional, gritty, and grounded, I'm like, awesome. Because you know he'll be off the mark. <laughs> he'll be so off the mark and it'll be hilarious. And it will be emotional because he's an emotional guy. He, he is a raw it. nerve. <laughs> I reckon that when uh, Vin was pitching Triple X3, the return of Xander Cage, he would have said, this is going to be my most grounded and emotional movie ever. <laughs> We got one more, uh, two more that have been announced. Tom okay. Hanks is also understood to be attached to a movie what? featuring Major Matt Mason, an action figure first produced in the 1960s that was supposedly the inspiration for Toy Story's Buzz Lightyear. Tom, you've already done Toy Story. <laughs> He's done Woody. Now he wants a little taste of Buzz. Ooh, uh, when that Woody buzzes, you know you're having a good time. I think Tom needs to get his shit together, I think honestly. Tom is so obsessed with his youth. Mm-hmm. He's obsessed with shit from the 50s and 60s, typewriters, fucking G.I. Yep. Joes, old toys, war movies. Tom needs to sit down and, like, fucking live in the present. Mm-hmm. And But I guess if you had a son like Chet... You would also probably be escaping to your past a lot. Too. Yeah, you're like, God, I want to go back to a time before I was a father. <laughs> I was at the uh, airport and I saw a book by Tom Hanks mm-hmm. in the bestsellers list, and it was like from best-selling author Tom Hanks. Me, I saw and that. I was book like, too. Are you fucking kidding me? It's a novel. Say from actor. It's a novel. Yeah, it's a novel about a like novel. a movie or something. It's a novel about the making of a movie. Yeah, they should say it's like from, from actor. actor Tom Hanks. And Who I wanna, cares about his books? I want to get a Tom Hanks book, like get the ebook of it, Command mm. F Chet, and see if it pops up in the book, like what he says. There's the villain's name's Chet. <laughs> And he won't say why. (laughs) There's one more that is on there that I've heard about this project for a little while, but it started to come back up again with this big announcement. Um, This is a property that Mattel owns. They bought it like 10 years ago in the 2010s. Um, A famous brand that you would remember from your childhood, Barney the Dinosaur. Yeah. Have you heard anything about this Barney the Dinosaur movie? I saw a headline on the AV Club, um, but I didn't click on it. I think it was Daniel Kaluuya. Yes, Daniel Kaluuya's Barney the Dinosaur film to be adult and lean into millennial angst. And is it an A24 feature? It is A24 type. It's not. It's Warner Brothers because it's coming through mm. uh, the Mattel subsidiary, yada, 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 all mm. that kind of techno mumbo jumbo. And Daniel Kaluuya produced the movie featuring Barney the Dinosaur will be an adult, surrealistic, and A24 type film inspired by the works of Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones. So to me, this sounds like a perhaps like a death to smoochy thing. Mm, um, one of I've, your favorite movies. Oh, I love this to smoochy. <laughs> I love it. Great movie. I love that. Is that is that Ron Williams? Yeah, and Ed Norton, I think. And Ed Norton, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of my best. And pictures. I think it's an isn't an, an Ed Norton uh, directed film. I don't think so. I think it's like one of the Barrys did it, right? Well, Barry Levinson or something. Or Barry Sonnefeld, one of those guys. <laughs> it's one of those guys. Let's I thought see. it was an Ed Norton joint. Death to Smoocho. It is. Oh my god! Directed by Danny DeVito. Yeah, that was my That's second right. guess. A, what movie am I thinking of around that time? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. What the fuck? Some other kids' movie satire. Yeah. But uh, DeVito loves himself a black comedy. we got to get DeVito mm-hmm. back behind the camera. I think so. He yeah. owned that whole genre back in the yes, 90s. Yes, he did. Uh, let me give you a quote that I found. This is from Mattel Films executive Kevin McKeon. We're leaning into the millennial angst of the property. 
rather than explain yourself (laughs) rather than fine tuning this for kids it's really a play for adults not that it's r-rated but it'll focus on some of the trials and tribulations of being 30 something growing up with barney just a level of disenchantment with that generation it would be so daring of us and really underscore that we're here to make art you actually can't call yourself daring person you actually can't say, you know what? It would be really daring of us mm. if we were to try and capture two quadrants by getting 30-year-olds who have children yeah. to bring their children to the movie. I don't know. I, I have no history with Barney. I remember watching Me it on either. TV as a kid, but when <clears> I try <throat> to think about it, all I can come up with is I get an immediate headache because it was mm. one of those daytime kids shows that would only have ever seen when I was homesick from school. Mm. And so just all that wafts over me is the feeling of a headache going, I love you, yeah. you love me. And it's just stuck in my head. I never watched Barney. He was not, to me, uh, pop culture wise, there's only one Barney, and yep. that's Barney Stinson. Oh, I love The Simpsons. <laughs> Barney Stinson from the Stinson. I love him. He's like, hey, hey Mo, give me another. Hey beer. Mo, let's suit up. <laughs> yeah, here's his quote. We'll finish on this. Barney was a ubiquitous figure in many of our childhoods. Then he disappeared into the shadows, left misunderstood. That's from Daniel Kaluuya. How old's Daniel Kaluuya? Because I think I'm too old for Barney, and I think I'm younger than Daniel Kaluuya. Okay, I'm looking up <clears throat> Daniel Kaluuya's age. He is. 1.74 meters tall, and he was Not born in 1989, so he's a fraction younger than you. Wow, okay. You're his senior. He would have to show you respect if you bumped Jesus into him on the street. He'd have to call you sir. I hate learning stuff like this. This really, really hurts me. Who? What are you going to tell me next? De Niro's younger than me? <laughs> well, De Niro is a spry young chicken, having little <laughs> clucklings out there in the world again now. <laughs> What else has been going on? Uh, one other story attached to this Barbie thing. Greta mm. Gerwig's next projects have been kind of lined up. Do you hear what they were? No. She's going to be directing two Narnia movies for Netflix. That's Narnia business. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's um. why. I think that's interesting. She wants to move into being like a big studio filmmaker. Right. And okay. I think that makes sense. Uh, she's she has roots in indie cinema yeah. as an actress and then as a co-creator with her partner, Noam Baumbach, doing Frances Ha, Mrs. America. And then her feature work is probably like in that so far until Barbie, like Little Women, great adaptation, mm-hmm. Lady Bird, both mm. in those like indie, indie films that are kind of soft studio features mm. almost, like all... They're closer to studio features than Fox Searchlight type picture. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then Barbie, she's making that leap, and I think that's where she's going to spend most of her career. Did you ever read the Narnia books? I loved Narnia. I love Narnia. Captured my attention. I love that kind of old English uh, 1990s TV production of it. That's real janky and weird. I Mm. love that great wet weather series to watch of of, uh, TV movies. Mm. Psycho stuff. Um, Yeah, I really loved Narnia. I loved that first uh, Chronicles of Narnia movie with Tilda Swinton a few years ago. The other two are so forgotten to history. That's Mm. like, it's a strange franchise. But I think... um, I actually am interested to see what she does with it because Mm. I think she's a great uh, adaptation writer. Her Little Women, I think, is such a magnificent adaptation of the book 
you know, making it feel a little bit contemporary in the right ways, the way that she kind of like brings her eye to it. I think that that movie felt like it was an instant classic that we'll talk about forever. Uh, like, a, I really, really love that movie. So I think <clears throat> thinking of her as someone who adapts literature to cinema, I'm interested to see what she's going to do with it. I've never read the books. Uh, I have seen that TV miniseries when That's I was a kid. Crazy. It is wild from what I can remember of it. I didn't see any of the new ones. New you know, ones? They're like 20 years old now. They're new to me. I'm, <laughs> I'm older than Daniel Kaluuya. To me, that's new. <laughs> um, but like uh, what I find interesting is obviously these are quite beloved books and they've been adapted, it seems like, every 20 mm-hmm. years into something. Yep. And they, they seem to do that. They'll do Narnia. They'll do. They'll always be an Alice in Wonderland movie. Mm. But why? Oh, why? Have we never gotten like a Secret Seven or a Famous Five? There is one coming. There's one coming? Do you know who's doing it? Oh my it's God. It's actually crazy. Please okay. say JJ Abrams. Oh my God. No, it's crazy. You have to keep guessing before I get it. Um, uh, is it, uh, it's coming out soon? Uh, it's just being started to work. Worked on now, I think. They're just starting it. Big director? I think it's a big director. I have to get it. Uh, yeah, it's actually. Is a it huge, Danny DeVito? It's a huge. <laughs> he would be great at it. It's a huge name director. Huge, like a name director. Uh, you'll never. I'll just say you'll never get it. You'll never get. Well, it. Well, this is a fun game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have to, I want to get you at least one guess. I'll just say Hother or Colder on it. Okay, a big name director. Not not like a Spielberg or anything like that. Okay, but he is uh, for our generation. Quite a known director, an auteur, if you will, an auteur. Where's Anderson? Mm, no. Hmm. But that would be nice. Quentin Tarantino. Warmer. Robert Rodriguez. Colder. Fuck. Warmer on Tarantino, colder on Rodriguez. Uh, Roger Avery. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is Nicholas Vinding Reffen from Drive, Neon Demon, wow. Bronson. Now, let me just think if I want to see that. Mm-hmm. It is a three-part series uh, for the BBC. I mean, that's an interesting choice. I, I like Drive, but also haven't re-watched it in about six years. I like Bronson more. Mm-hmm. Neither of those films lend themselves to the uh, to what I imagine the Secret Seven or Famous Five mm-hmm. to look like. But I'm like. I'm interested to see because I think you know he's a father. Maybe he wants to make something softer for his children. Mm. Kind of explore that. He's a very com- com- competent technical director as well mm. and great visualist. I think it's interesting. I can't mm. even imagine what it will be, but I can imagine like the those auteurs that are in their fifties now wanting to do. Their Tintin or something like that, right? Like David Lowry doing um, Pete's Dragon. And yeah, exactly. He did a P freaking Peter Pan movie this <clears> year. He <throat> loves yeah. Pete movies for kids. This guy's obsessed with Pete's. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the end of the news. I think so. <laughs> that's it. That's all that happened in the world. That's it. That's all the news. That's all the news that mattered. I think so. Any updates on Ukraine, Russia? Uh, let's just see. I don't know if they're going to get Zelensky to play Paddington in Paddington Goes to Peru <laughs> for the Ukrainian release. I think we should talk about something uh, that you're very passionate about. It's a thing called movies. Yes, it's a it's an artistic format known as movie, which is when you get a bunch of actors, mm. film them for about 90 minutes to two hours, cut it up, release it, 
into a little place known as Picture House. That's right. And there are picture houses all around the world. There's some probably on every street. There's one at the corner of every street. You go in, you chuck it on a DVD, Mm. you sit back and you escape through a little portal that I call the silver screen. That's true. And a silver screen can either be a portal to another world or it could be something as simple as a mirror reflecting one's own life back onto thee. That's so beautiful and profound. I am one of the most romantic fellas when it comes to this art known as films. You know, the only person I can think of that loves cinema more than you Mm. is Woody Allen, and the similarities don't stop there. (laughs) Glasses, neurotic. (laughs) Have a history with Sunyi Previn. (laughs) She is one of my close friends. I love Sunyi. You and Sunyi are very close. We go back quite a ways. We actually, I usually go stay with her when I'm in New York. I usually go stay with her. Because her and Woody live separately. They live separately. I I don't know him. I don't know him very well. (laughs) I don't know him. I only know her and I love her. I stand on you. <laughs> All right. But you've seen a lot of films this year. Mm-hmm. You have opinions on a lot of films this year. Yep. You've seen way more than me. I think I've barely seen a single piece of cinema this year. <laughs> barely. You had a scared <laughs> look at one or two. <laughs> I looked at a couple. Mm-hmm. But I would like to ask you what your favourite films of 2023 are so far. Yeah. Because we're pretty much halfway through the year, aren't we? We are at that midpoint of the year. Oh, we're at the midpoint. We just passed the midpoint. Well, we're heading into the dark night of the soul Where of we the have year. no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm lost. I'm freaking driving around in a black Lamborghini at night time with sunglasses <laughs> on, not knowing what is ahead. But I have seen some really great movies this year. Mm. I'll talk about a bunch of them. Mm. And a lot of these are things I would have seen at film festivals, so you can kind of put them on your radar. I think that's one thing that we want to do with this new podcast is explore pop culture in a different way and kind of like help you, the dear listener of this Mm. show, discover things that we think you will love. And I'm going to give you some heads up on ones. The first one that I want to talk about is a movie we just saw together. Mm. Uh, Probably the biggest premiere either of us will ever be at for our entire lives. We did did reach a Until the film adaptation of this podcast. Oh, I know. Hopefully, Daniel Kaluuya has some crazy things to say about it. I really hope Danny DeVito comes on board. <laughs> I want Danny DeVito, Vin Diesel to freaking make something that's gritty, grounded, real, and a little bit twisted and funny. It is kind of crazy to picture that a world where Vin Diesel and Danny DeVito never collaborate on a project. Yeah. It, it makes sense that me. they would. They think they've got something. They've got something in their DNA I don't know if together. they've ever met, but something. I mean, they're both Italian or something. Yeah, or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think the emphasis on the or something. Well, his name's Vincenzo, isn't it? Frank Vincent, I think. No, that's uh, that's Joe Pesci's best friend. <laughs> Frank Vincent's the guy from The Sopranos. Yeah, yeah. Rest <laughs> Phil, in peace, Phil Frank. Leotardo. Yeah, yeah, rest in peace, Frank. Uh, but we both saw the premiere of Mission Impossible, mm. Dead Reckoning Part 1. Yeah. We celebrated Tom Cruise on his birthday with Tom Cruise. Did he you know was it was there. his birthday? I did, because it's wow. IMDb trivia. <clears throat> Tom Cruise stars in a movie called Born on the 4th of July. How ironic, he was actually born on the 3rd of July. So it's something that he almost shares in common, in common with his character Ron Kovic, plays on a real guy. So I know that from IMDb trivia for my whole life. <sighs> so I did know that. I did know that, yes. That's something that I have I have knowledge of that's trapped in my brain. What's going on in your brain, dude? It's a lot of fun facts. It's a nightmare in there. <laughs> it's a fun fact that I have to navigate into being solid information. <laughs> Do you, do, when you were studying like for your HSC, mm. did you have to push film trivia out to keep 
yeah. normal knowledge in. I actually would say um, when I was studying for my HSC, a lot of it was me procrastinating by looking up stuff like that. Looking up trivia. <laughs> trivia, reading little fun things, going on the IMDb message boards, writing about theories about movies and stuff. And then also just like, you know, watching Entourage in the background yeah, at the same yeah, time. Because yeah. at that point in time, I was trying to procrastinate so much. I'm watching shit that I didn't even like. I'm watching like Two Broke Girls and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Go, yeah, I'll watch this. Because I don't want to study. <laughs> I watch a lot of Entourage. Yeah, well, that's fine. It's about movies. It's a it's a love letter to movies. <laughs> <laughs> right, Mission, we saw Mission Impossible: Dead yeah. Reckoning Part One, humongous premiere. Oh, and it was Tom Cruise's birthday. I didn't know that. I was well. You didn't read the IMDb trivia for Born on the Fourth of July. I don't read it every day, <laughs> <laughs> but I was surprised to learn that it was Tom Cruise's birthday. When uh, actor and co-star of the film Simon Pegg, his best friend Tom Cruise's best friend, which is insane. Mm, I think poor that- Nick Frost. Yeah, Nick Frost's poor Nick Frost. What a, it's a like, I love the early day. I mean, I'm romantic for the early days of the Cornetto trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yes, when Simon Pegg was just a funny dude. Mm-hmm. His best friend was Nick Frost, mm-hmm. and their best friend was a funny guy called Edgar Wright, and they all made silly little movies that had touches of action and drama in them. Nowadays, Simon Pegg is like. Maybe a Scientologist, I don't know, but he's best friends with Tom Cruise. Nick Frost is not in the picture. Yeah. And Edgar Wright is making I don't Baby know. Driver or something. He's shit. making like movies that are like, yeah, they're kind of like movies that I like. It's crazy. Mm, and I think Simon Pegg and Tom Cruise, it's interesting because I feel like they're only friends when he's making a Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. But they make one every few years, so they're yeah. pretty close, I guess. Yeah. But it's, I don't know, it was so funny because like whenever they all came out on stage together mm. and it was interesting to just be in the same room as Tom Cruise, observe Thomas Cruise Mapper for the fourth in mm-hmm. his element mm. presenting a film. Crazy. It was so, it was, it was a wild experience because they're like, you know, Richard Wilkins, Australia's, you know, Australia's greatest cinephiles on stage presenting to them. And he's going like, Tom, what do you love about Sydney? I love everything about Sydney. I, gosh, I love it here. I love the streets of Sydney. I love the people of Sydney. I love Sydney and its vibe. I love the the sights and smells of. I love the cinemas. I love the cinemas. I love to go see movies. He actually did say when they asked him what he loves about Sydney, he said, and this is a direct quote: "I love everything about it. I love the beaches. I love the weather." And then he paused and he went, "I love the big screen." Yeah. And he pointed to the big movie screen above his head. Which they had built because they had to put it in the ICC, like the- What does it even stand for? International Convention Center. International Convention Center. Now it's for I Cinema School. I, I, can, I can see cinemas. I can see cinemas. And that's what we were seeing. We were seeing cinemas <laughs> that had to build it in there. He actually did say one of his favorite things about Sydney is that- the big screen that they'd built and he pointed at it. <laughs> well, you know, what else is he going to say? He's <laughs> like, I built this and I think it's awesome. Uh, and it was it was, it was, was so crazy because these are the kind of premieres they only have at like London or whatever. Yeah. And it was interesting to see them all presenting the film, how much work had gone into it. Who's there? You got Chris McQuarrie is yeah, there, McHugh, the rec This next guy. <laughs> collaborated with him for the last 17 years. I call him McHugh. And he had nicknames for everybody. Haley Atwell comes out. It's like we've been talent scouting, talent scouting Haley Atwell for years. We've been saw looking for the right ago. thing for her to do, and we finally found it. She is going to be playing a character in this movie, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One and Part Two. And when she's on set, she's so up for it. She's so game. We call her Hell Yeah, Hell Yeah, Hell Yeah Atwell, Hell Yeah, Hell Yeah. 
And then he said it about six times. Mm, we kept on saying it. When then Simon Pegg comes out with his great cake for Tom Cruise for his yeah. birthday. And Tom Cruise is cracking up at everything Simon Pegg says. Which is crazy because Tom uh, Simon Pegg, who is on funny. the record as a funny guy. Yeah, I would admit he's one of the funniest guys. But can I say, not very funny when he's just being himself and chilling out mm-hmm. and being normal. Especially when he hasn't said a word yet. <laughs> so he comes out on stage with this cake and Tom Cruise goes, ha. This guy's crazy. <laughs> He's always doing crazy stuff like this. God, that, awesome. that kick might explode for all I know, knowing Simon. Simon's crazy like that. And then from then on, we were treated to the movie. We saw yeah. the film. They finally let us watch the movie. They let us watch it. It was it was such a great experience seeing all of them, getting the movie. Uh, we both have gone on the record. We will go on the record once again saying we love the Mission Impossible franchise. Yep. Yep. We love pretty much every single entry into that franchise. I, I officially love them all. I have a ranking system for sure, them. Sure, I've got a rank. Sure. It's a private rank. Mm-hmm. I'll never share it. You will never share it. I'm happy to rank publicly. I'll say... This much, and I won't say a single word or syllable more. Mm-hmm. Number one is my favorite one. Wow. Brian De Palma. Brian De Palma. We love He's him. He's Italian or something. He is. He's one of those guys. Him from the old name. Diesel, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but the new one, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, immediately, Cameron, you were hook line and sinker. You said you love this. It might be up there with your favorites. I think. It's my favorite of Christopher McQuarrie's ones, mm-hmm. hands down. I hands think down it's uh, hands down my pants. I was having fun watching this one. <laughs> okay, play. so you are ranking this one. Yeah, I was wanking this one. Hold on. <laughs> it's, um, it's a blast. Mm. Like uh, Every set piece is great. I love the way it looks. There's finally a touch of sense of humor to mm. these movies again. Maybe every now and then you get a little bit of comedy, but there hasn't been one that's as funny as this since Brad Bird's one. Which, in my opinion, is a little too funny. Ghost Protocol is too funny. Just a bit. You're like, come on, I'm trying to get on the edge of my I'm seat. How I'm can I when I'm my falling pants. back laughing? Every time I watch Ghost Protocol, I'm pissing my mm-hmm. pants laughing yeah. at all the comedy in it. <laughs> so yeah. if they dial it down a little bit, you get Dead Reckoning Part 1. Mm. And that's what I want. Just a bit of humor, a lot of action, um, some adventure. Some adventure. And fantastic a touch of heart. Touch of heart. The heart was lovely. It mm. touched at you. It's emotional. It's gritty. And it's grounded. Um, I think what I <laughs> what I got most from this, it kind of recontextualized the whole series for me. Because going in, I almost originally, back when Fallout got announced, that it was going to be the second time a director had come back to the franchise. Macquarie did... Rogue Nation, he came back for Fallout, and it was part of me that was a little bit, perhaps, I don't even know the word, I'm going to say melancholic for this, Mm. because I really appreciate Mission Impossible franchise where each episode, each entry was a new auteur filmmaker bringing their Mm. stylistic sensibilities to this franchise, and each film (laughs) feeling individualistic to that style. Their style was what set them apart. But now, seeing this third entry from Macquarie, uh, I recontextualize it going like, oh, he brings a different style to each film now. And yep. the franchise still has a different sensibility per film, but he is just bringing something new and exploring a new recipe of tones, a new mixture of tones with it. And I really appreciated that. And I think... I had rewatched Fallout that day, and to me, that's a real high point for the franchise. It's my absolute favorite it's of them all. Great. It's I think great. It is, I think it's one of the best action movies ever made. When I rank this above Fallout, we're talking 
fractions. 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 I love fractions. And I, 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 I did not quite love it as much as Fallout. But I think there is so much joy to the set pieces here that mm. are really quite clever that escalate in not just their tension or their stakes, but like you said, comedically, often they escalate those stakes. Like there's a wonderful action sequence in a train that is a long extended dramatic and action sequence that kind of bobs and wheezes between those two tones mm. as it escalates throughout but it climaxes in uh i don't want to reveal too much but like a train uh dangling a dangling train and it's in the trailer i think we're allowed to i'm say. allowed to say that yeah it's 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 a featured moment in the trailer. Okay, well, it's in the trailer, but it's a dangling train. And as that escalates, as they're climbing through each carriage, it does some stuff that I've not seen before mm. in a not an uncommon set piece of a dangling train in an action film or video game Or even franchise. like, you know, like the first thing that comes to mind when I think of that sequence is the Lost World. Yes. The truck dangling over the edge. A of dangling the truck. I was Very thinking of that. Very similar vibe. Mm. Um, but yeah, as you said, there's some... Moments of escalation within this sequence that feel totally fresh and mm -hmm. new and funny. And funny. They go they have to walk through a kitchen carriage on this train as it is changing its I guess it's gravity because it's dangling off. So it's like, you know, the sh the way the way gravity is pulling them changes. And then with that comes like, you know, humor and stakes building where knives are flying knives around, are boiling oil from a deep fryer, so flames are coming out. Slipping on the oil, they're trying to I thought that was quite brilliant. Wonderful performances throughout. Yeah. Everybody's top of their game. At points it feels it feels like it's re-embracing some of like the Hitchcockian roots again. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I think Fallout strays away from that to get something really like a, a really top tier action stakes, end of the world stakes. This almost feels a little bit more grounded in its humanity again in the interaction between characters. I think it feels so much more grounded, uh, largely the fact that you know, some of the big action set pieces are just on trains or whatever, in car chases, running through the streets of Italy or whatever. It's not as world-ending as Fallout was. And even to the point that I couldn't really tell you what the big bad of this movie is. Mm. At times I'm like, is this guy Terminator? Yeah. Is there a Terminator guy we know. I know that the AI, AI is the baddie. Mm -hmm. Like, ChatGPT is the bad guy of this yeah. movie. So stop. <laughs> and like you're learning more about you by days but even then i was kind of like right so hang on is is the ai like trying to destroy the world or is it is it already destroying the mm. world and why is this guy the physical manifestation of it is he a robot is he just some guy who loves the ai i think he's some guy that loves the ai worships the ai but they never explained it and i also didn't need it to be explained me neither i quite enjoyed it i think for me perhaps less satisfying of a part one of a few different part one type deals that we've had recently. Interesting. Yeah. I, I feel the opposite. Mm. Why, why, why do you feel unsatisfied? Uh, I don't know. I, I think it was perhaps there was not a completed arc that I felt at a certain point, but to me that, you know, that's subjective. That's up for grabs, but I actually, I really, really dug this. I'm mm. all in on mission impossible. I'm happy to see whatever they do. I think this one, once we get part two, there'll be more for me to kind of dig into and really soak up the action, mm. the adrenaline, mm. the power, the mapathon of it all. What did you think of Hail Yeah? 
Hell yeah, I got one word to say. Hell yeah. She was great. She was great. A welcome addition. I think that she actually is the kind of perfect actor to just slot into this franchise. Another Mm. person I'd say the exact same thing about is Pom Klemetiev as well. she was incredible. Uh, I think that is a very exciting character type to be exploring with this. She is kind of like a badass henchman with yeah. like high intensity action sequences. I would even say there's an action sequence with her in it that is unlike anything I've ever seen explored before. Uh, it's something that the closest comparison I would say is something in Kill Bill Volume 2, which is a very yeah, high yeah, intensity, very up close corridor, claustrophobic. claustrophobic corridor fight. It's an mm. alleyway. It's a three-way hand-to-hand combat fight between three people. The way that it is captured by Macquarie on camera, it almost feels like mixed media. The camera feels quite diegetic in there. Mm. It is, it, I think it is, it's brilliant. It's an action sequence like I'd not seen before. I think it's like- It was the, awesome. It's the, top, it's the top of this film, the best this film gets. Yeah, I think between that and the train sequence- and the fear, the fiat sequence, mm-hmm. you know, the whole chase. I loved, man, there was so much to love about it. I loved Hayley Atwell. I think she's great in those Marvel movies mm-hmm. that she pops up in. She never gets to do a hell of a lot in them, yeah. so it was pretty fun to watch her in this. She gets to do this. a hell of a lot. In and, them. like, I, when they were on stage, um, I think one of them said, Hayley and Tom had such great chemistry on screen. Yeah, Chris and McQuarrie was like, mm. Yeah, we we barely cut to close-ups because we wanted to keep them together in, in the, the two shots because they have such great chemistry. And then we heard Tom Cruise speak for about 10 minutes and I thought, I bet Tom Cruise has no chemistry with anybody, but it just takes a very special actor to break through and connect with him. And I think she is a very special mm-hmm. actor. And they pretty much surround him with those special actors those extraordinary cast members mm. in all the Mission Impossible films. I think, I think Tom, I, I, I think he's a fantastic actor. I want to clarify what I mean by that. I mean, he works best on his own. Mm. I mean, watching him As run, a solo performer on screen or reacting to bad news or tension or a moment of heightened drama, I think he's up there with one of the greatest actors of all time but I don't think he connects with other actors that well. Mm. So it takes a Pom or a Haley or Mr. Pegg or a Ving, a Ving. to jump in and mm. like grab a performance out of him. And I, I love it. I think he's great. And that's Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Mm. Part 2 comes out, I believe, next year, perhaps a year later. Uh, and I anticipate it greatly. I can't wait. I can wait and I will wait. But so is that in your favourite movies you've seen of the year so far? At the moment it is, mm. but I would say that they're, perhaps by the end of the year it might get shuffled off. Mm. But I'm going to tell you about oh. perhaps my favourite movie of the year so far. Please. It has not received a generally release yet, but it is a festival favourite. Uh, it premiered at Cannes, I believe. It is the latest film from director Todd Haynes. Filmmaker mm. that I believe that you quite like. He did Carol, Dark Waters, Velvet Goldmine, Safe, Far From Heaven, I'm Not There, the Bob Dylan yeah. uh, experimental biography film, mm. which I think is quite great. Um, you like Todd Haynes, right? I love Velvet Goldmine. I love I'm Not There. I love Far From Heaven. I haven't seen his last few films. Mm-hmm. Dark Waters, I didn't see. Dark Waters, you will love. Great journalism procedural mm. film. I think it is fantastic. It is almost like... Uh, the way that I described it when it came out was it does it, it, it does for non-stick pans what Jaws did to the water. It will make you fear them. 
And I replaced all my nonstick pans after seeing that movie. It's really good. I haven't seen it, but I remember you saying that. Mm-hmm. And then I replaced all my nonstick pans. Yeah. And you didn't even see the movie. That's no. the power of <laughs> that's, Dark Waters. That's how scary it is. So May December <laughs> is the latest film from Todd Haynes. Okay. Uh, and I think that this is a glorious movie. Hmm. It is so palpably exciting in what it's doing tonally. I'll tell you the premise because I think it has a fantastic premise that I I just, on premise alone, I can't help but like soak up the juice of this movie. It stars Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore. Natalie Portman plays an actress who is making a film or studying studying a performance for a film that she wants to make. And the film is about a scandalous tabloid uh, local tabloid scandal from the 1990s where an older woman began a relationship with a 13-year-old boy. Okay. And the movie that we are watching is Natalie Portman studying that character by going to that town and sharing a life and like studying the real-life woman who is played by Julianne Moore. And so that is where this film starts. Mm. And it's about Natalie Portman kind of investigating this story a little bit to find out how to embody this character. And to me, isn't that such a delicious premise? It's a bit of fun. Yeah. And this film kind of like straddles all these wonderful tones of this kind of like it embraces the high camp energy of that idea while also kind of like bringing into like all these dramatic feelings these these funny moments it's kind of like has like this overwhelmingly intoxic atmosphere that feels like those hazily remembered daytime cable television movie of the weeks and Mm. kind of it, it awakens all that camp energy that those things have while not feeling truly high camp like it is it captures something really really specific and really really special and one way that does that is like it has this sublime found score reuse of this 1970s English classic. And it's like a period film called The Go-Between, which mm. is about like a interesting relationship as well, kind of like a middleman working between two relationships between two people. Um, and it has a great score and it has it's quite a big, big score. Uh, that feels quite intense and applying it to something like this, it ekes out a lot of melodrama Mm. and in a way that is just such an utter delight. This is my highest recommendation for the year. People, if you love camp stuff, you see this. This is, I'm putting the alert out there. This fucking rocks, this film. Can you answer a question for me? What is camp? Camp, it is hard to define, but it is basically, everyone should read the essay about camp or whatever, but, uh, Who wrote the essay? Um, let me let me let me get that up there. Camp. Should essay. we just read the essay on this podcast? Yeah, we'll just have a <laughs> huge thing. Notes on Camp by Susan Sontag is the essay. Oh, okay. Um, but mm-hmm. Camp is kind of like it's a. I would say it's an aesthetic almost. Mm. It can be an aesthetic. It can be a feeling. It can be something hard to define. Kitsch, I think, is camp. Mm-hmm. If you know what kitsch is, you yep. kind of know what camp is. Yep. Um, but I would say that it is camp exists beyond the text, I'd say. Camp is something that's in the reading. It's in the feeling. Okay. All right. Um, and does it that? mean gay? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so that is May, December. Okay. It is a very interesting, really intoxicating is the only way that I can really describe it accurately. Fun. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. I love Julian Moore's in Far From Heaven. Mm-hmm. 
I love to see that pairing again. That's yeah, a bit of fun. and Safe, another movie they've made together. No, I've I never think seen a great Safe. Pairing. Safe yeah. is Safe is very cool. I haven't seen it for a long time, but I go rewatch it. You're in Safe Hands when Todd and Julianne get together. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a few other movies that I want to kind of share, put onto people's radars. Uh, one that I, another one that I caught at the Sydney Film Festival. It is a movie called Past Lives, and this is one that I really think that you will dig, Cameron. It is a film. From first-time debut directorial filmmaker Celine Song, uh, who's probably better known as a playwright. Um, And it is kind of, I would say, it's capturing uh, the before trilogy in one film, in one setting. And it is almost like straight moonlight, if I want to put it that way. But it is... Finally. I've been (laughs) wondering for a long time when we're going to get a straight moonlight. Uh, But this is a movie about Nora and Hey Song, two deeply connected childhood friends who are rest apart after Nora's family emigrates from South Korea to Canada. 20 years later, they're reunited for one fateful week as they confront notions of love and destiny. So it kind of captures these people at three different points in their life and their relationship to each other. Hmm. Uh, it starts with them as children. It reconnects with them as young adults in their 20s. And then once again, when they are further along in their life. And it is, I think, very softly beautiful. And it's one of those films I feel like I can count at the exact right time in my life where I hmm. am actually experiencing nostalgia and my thoughts for people in my past uh, quite a lot more, where it's just something that I think about now. Um, and it, it, it kind of has like this enriching balance of spirit, romance, hope, doubt, sincerity, and soul. But it really taps into like those formative fantasies that you have with people. You kind of imagine what your life could have been mm. without having to show them. It just does that through language and to a point where it has this idea of past lives, of like how you would have connected with someone actually in your past life mm. together but in the the spiritual sense as well of like past lives generations past where you would have met that soul with someone mm. but only through them speaking about it and i think it's a very clever nuanced way to do it uh, it's a very very beautifully balanced film that i think will connect with people very deeply i mean even just you describing that sounds like it's something i'll froth on you will froth it. I'll froth? Guaranteed froth. <sighs> I'd love to froth during a movie. Oh my God. There's a few Australian films I want to talk about. Please, hit me uh, with the Aussies. One of them is a latest horror film. Uh, it's an A24 production. Uh, now, what is A24? A24 is a boutique brand of films. And what sort of movies do they make? <laughs> they make every kind of movie, but they do a little twist and turn on them. What do they do? They could be a little bit fucked up. They could be a little bit weird. They could be a little bit experimental. But what they really do best is they find an audience. They hmm. have really branded themselves really well at finding an audience. And this film it, talks- Can I ask you a question? Yeah, Just of quickly. You can ask me any question. It can be long, can be slow. Doesn't I'll ask be you a short one. Okay, short question. Is A24 a film production company or is it an online merch store? Oh, they're a bit of both. I would say they're a brand. I would actually say they're a brand. It's probably <laughs> the thing they do best. <laughs> they're like the supreme of movies. 
<laughs> yeah, they are really like the Suprema movies. In that they're overrated uh, and overpriced. <laughs> well, I think it's hard to say they're overrated because I don't really know what they do. They're mainly a distributor. They really yeah, good at marketing yeah. movies. Yeah. And there's some kind of like an aesthetic link in what they do, but... It's Instagram friendly. Very Instagram friendly. Uh, but the movie is called Talk To Me. It's an Australian film from Adelaide filmmakers Danny and Michael Philippou, who are probably best known as Raka Raka, uh, a YouTube mm. channel. Uh, very exciting. They're very, very, uh, I think, fan- like great technical filmmakers. Really, really great. And it always seemed like a no-brainer that they would eventually move to live-action feature films. Mm. Uh, their work has always been like very reverential for their love of cinema in parody, in humor, but always had like ex- expert skill in stunts and action and stuff. They're diving into feature films. It's fantastic. It's so good. Talk to me is basically, it actually kind of reminds me of what the movie you always wish Flatliners was. Man, never seen Flatliners, but the idea of it is so sick. Mm-hmm. One of the great premises. Great premise, great hair on mm-hmm. the fucking video cover. Basically, it's people in Flatliners, it's people that are addicted to dying and then yeah. being brought back but experiencing some kind of afterlife. Which is so sick. Like, it just in premise alone, that is so cool. Combine that with the fact that when they come back, sometimes they bring something back with them. So this is a much more exciting interpretation of a similar idea. It is probably more in line with the spirituality of that, more about the duality of life and death, grief and despair, the line in between life and death. Mm. I think is very, very interestingly spiritually and insightfully explored with quite a lot of rich depth. Uh, This is a film about a group of teenage friends that discover how to conjure spirits using an embalmed hand, like a ceramic embalmed hand that <laughs> that once belonged to a yes. psychic. I mean, I'll tell you what I'd be doing with that hand if I found it. I'd <laughs> they, be giving it a workout. They kind of become hooked on using this hand, discovering right. this new thrill of communicating to the dead. It's like a seance. They become... Uh-huh. It, it kind of uses a seance as an allegory for drug addiction, which is oh, quite cool. Or exper- drug experimentation. And until one of them goes too far and unleashes a terrifying supernatural force. It is really scary. I think that it really captures the fear of that. And that, but, I, but I really do think the way they explores grief and despair is really interesting. Hmm. It's got a great central performance by a young actor, Sophie Wilde, and she's kind of able to tap into the overwhelming feeling of grief and mourning and loss, but still striving to find joy in life in a way that I don't think I've quite seen done before. Mm. And the way that she kind of captures those transformative moments in those seances, in those moments where she's embodying something else, fantastic, great actor, great actor, great performance. I think uh, Michael and Danny have like a really bright future. I am excited to see how they keep exploring feature films. Uh, I love this. I think if you love horror, if you love Australian horror, mm. this is like a new high watermark for me of Australian horror. What's the previous high watermark? Is it Babadook? Or Probably something? Babadook because mm. that that really hits so big. I yeah. think this is going to have a similar path to Babadook, but in a perhaps a more invigorated, fun way. Hmm. I think it's uh, I. They, these guys actually did work on the Babadook. So I think some of the lessons that they learned hmm. as crew members on that has kind of translated to now their career as big filmmakers. Yeah, sick. I loved it. It's called Talk To Me. It is coming out 
at the end of this month. But there are a few preview screenings around Australia. I was lucky enough to host a premiere at the Ritz with uh, the cast and crew, and it was great talking to them. They, uh, Even though it was a short Q&A, they still had some great insights to share. Another great Australian film is by a filmmaker you know and love. It is Limbo from director Ivan Sen. You saw it. I saw it. How is it? I loved it. Hell yeah. It actually might be my favorite Ivan Sen film. Really? It is. Oh, that's so cool. I fucking love Ivan Sen. It once again is a neo-noir western that he's been doing, a mystery investigation film. Uh, This time the key difference is that it is a white man investigating a cold case about an indigenous girl that has been killed uh, 20 years ago. Mm. And it's played by Simon Baker fantastic Simon Baker performance. The mentalist. The mentalist himself. It's quite transformative from what we normally see of Mm. him. He is quieter, softer, darker, I think quite brooding. Mm. Uh, Very great performance. And it is a rare example of an Australian film shot in black and white. I actually cannot think of another example immediately, especially in a modern context, of a black and white film capturing our landscapes it's set in uh it's set in a fictional place of limbo uh but it is based on the underground town oh yeah kuba yeah kuba like Mm. the opal town Mm. so it's like a a completely new way to see those and while it has like those evocations of the western that he always does Mm. this is much more in line with noir and it's a classic noir not just neo-noir classic noir God, I'm so excited for that. Mm, it looks that beautiful. That sounds so cool. Yeah, it's I it's a very, noir very set cool. in the outback, basically. Really just and Simon, I'm, you know, I'm ready for a Simon Baker like renaissance. Yeah, well so he had Breath a couple of years ago, the Tim Winton adaptation yeah, that he directed. Never saw started. it, never will. Neither so did I. Sorry. I'm so, sorry, I Simon. To Timmy. I sorry, Tim. Simon. Sorry, Simon. Not interested in watching a fucking Surfers, uh, you know, existential crisis or whatever the fuck mm-hmm. that movie is. But I will watch a noir set in the outback that has a touch of the western to it. It is very cool. I've got one other Australian film that I talk about quickly, and I'll Hit just me. talk about a couple of other films yeah, I really like. Yeah. Uh, this one is called Bird Eater. Mm-hmm. It is from two young directors, Jack Clark and Jim Weir. These guys, they're even much younger than Daniel Kaluuya. Heck, they're so much younger than Daniel Kaluuya, they're younger than me. How old are you again? I'm 19. In dog years? <laughs> In dog years, I was like four years old. <laughs> reverse dog years. Uh, but, oh, don't go reverse dog A 19-year-old dog. <laughs> so I'd make you 70-something. Uh, this is a really cool film. It is an ensemble piece. A bride-to-be is invited to her own fiancé's bachelor party, but when uncomfortable details about their relationship are exposed, the night takes a feral turn. Feral. Yes. Love that word. Great word. Mm. It is kind of like, I would say, a visceral young man's riff on Wake and Fright with an update of the social commentary on masculinity and gender and its roles in forming relationships. This is a really impressive debut feature film from these filmmakers. It kind of exhibits quite a lot of maturity for them. Uh, But what I think works best for me is it is really beautiful cinematography, but in a way that 
is harder to describe because it's not like, wow, they capture great vistas or like every frame's a painting. It's really evocative and even provocative, I would say, in its cinematography. It feels quite fresh in the way that's shot, very energetic, and it kind of really quite effortlessly weaves into montage at different points. Mm. It's just, it's one of those films that you could, the personality of its film is inherent in its visual and emotive language. Think it is really great. I'm mainly putting this one out on the radar because it is one that I think will do at least more of the local film festival circuit. It's a really small movie, small budget, great performances, everything, small cast, great ensemble. But I think it's like it's going to catch on. Like I think Mm. it's just one that is going to have the little festival debuts. You will have to kind of seek it out because sometimes these smaller budget Australian films. It happens. It, it might not be. It might be hard to see for a while. But when it's playing film festivals, when it's playing like local local houses, local picture palaces, whatever, you got to go check it out. <laughs> picture palaces. I love picture palaces. How fucking old are you? Dude? I'm ninety in dog years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over ten thousand years of age. Maybe Just call in- it the movies. Bro. No, I love to say picture palace. Oh I can imagine God. this playing a picture palace and tearing it apart. <laughs> But this is a great film, Bird Eater. I think you will love it. Cool. It is really cool. I can't wait to see it again. It's um I don't want to give away too much, but I just want to put on people's radars. Cool. That hopefully great. as it comes out more, hopefully we even get those guys on to have a chat and stuff. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh it's quite hell cool. yeah. Hell yeah. How do you catch race? <laughs> Couple more movies. I'll just give a shout out to please, I really liked. Please. Uh I loved the new Spider Man across the Spider Verse. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I loved it. I loved it. I liked it maybe even more than the first one. It is a part one of a part two type deal, but to me it felt more in line with Back to the Future 2, where mm. I did feel a resolve in some character arcs. It goes on a little bit further past those to end on a cliffhanger. Mm. I know a lot of people weren't satisfied with that. It just worked for me. And it's just it's a real visual feast, a real oral and visual experience that just kind of like washed over me and engrossed me. It hit me after a string of big old flops in the cinema that I hated, and it reinvigorated my anticipation of where the year in film could go. Similarly, I love John Wick Chapter 4 for the same thing. Love John Wick. I loved it. It's my favorite of all of them. Easily. 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 I think that Stahelski, uh, with each film, you see the growth of what oh, can outreach. So exciting. Yeah. I, I told you this at the time, but I saw John Wick Chapter 4 in a packed cinema. And without spoiling anything, the moment when he falls down 300 stairs mm. and bounces all the way down to the bottom, entire cinema was quiet. And then as he was bouncing down the stairs, one guy at the back went, No! No! And it's- then everyone started laughing. And it was exhilarating to have the entire cinema just feeling the moment all at once. It was great. I think what he does so well is that he kind of has these broad influences that he's able to reinterpret as pure action Mm. like that sequence it feels like buster keaton it feels like charlie chaplin yeah and then you've got the evocations of the feels like hot rod through feels like hot rod (laughs) there's stuff that feels like lawrence of arabia yeah and i think lighting alone it's one of the best looking films ever Mm. i think to me it's a it truly is a high point of like action cinema in western cinema it's incredible i think it's a total evolution Mm -hmm. i wonder what the next evolution will be tv show Maybe John- it is a TV show. It's uh, it's John Wick Continental, the TV series. It's a Continental TV series. It's directed by one of my favorite guys. 
Do you know who's apparently going to be in the Continental TV series? Yeah. Mel Gibson. Melanie. Melanie Gibson. Wow. Okay. Mm, okay. Yeah, fair enough. What do you think? Interesting uh, figure, much derided in filmmaking. He, When I go back and watch his classics, I'm like, this guy's a full-on movie star. You can't mm. deny it. And when you say the classics, you mean the video of him yelling at that <laughs> female cop, right? Yeah. That's the classic. Yeah, the sugar video. That's what I think of when I think of Mel Gibson's movie career. That's When you see that, you go, God, he's a star. <laughs> That is it's a fucking the, the movie charisma star. that eeks off the screen. Oh my god, yeah, this guy's beautiful. Either that or those threatening voicemails you heard. Yeah, from when you. I think of the classic Mel Gibson performances, I think of the voicemails. <laughs> <laughs> He's a great voice actor. <laughs> either that, maybe The Beaver, directed by Jodie Foster, and maybe Daddy's friend. Home too. <laughs> I forgot that movie exists. <laughs> Um, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I didn't know he was going to be in the Continental. I'm probably not going to watch the Continental. I won't watch the Continental, mm, but I will too. watch another John Wick movie. Absolutely. It belongs on the big screen. I'm also happy if this is the last one. Yeah, me too. Mm. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy as a fella known as Larry. Anatomy of a Fall, you will like this courtroom drama. Unlike one that I've ever seen before by a Damn. filmmaker, Justine Triette. It is, it reminds me a lot of Anatomy of a Murder, mm. but really cool, really contemporary. Uh, a lot of those conflicting perspectives that you want in one of those courtroom drama films. Mm. Basically, it's about a married couple uh, where the man falls to his death. And then the woman becomes a, the wife becomes a suspect in whether it was a murder, whether it was an accident, whether it was a suicide. Right. And okay. It, it, it follows the bit case. Bit of the staircase kind of vibe. Bit of the staircase kind of vibe. But uh, what is really interesting, it often goes to the perspective of their young son who has a visual impairment. So he's like also uh, like a, a bit of an. Uh, Unreliable narrator. Thank you. I was going to say untrustworthy, and then I felt guilty saying that about a fictional child. (laughs) (laughs) This little kid, I don't trust him. I don't trust this kid. It's really, really cool. Great film. It does some really interesting camera stuff where the camera feels like it turns diegetic at points. I hadn't really thought about that in Mm. in this kind of context where you're seeing stuff through what probably should be a news camera capturing it, but it's just the film camera that we're Mm. seeing the whole film from. Interesting as, great film, Anatomy of a Fall. Put it on your radar. It'll come to you eventually. And then one last one that I really loved. I called out Sydney Film Festival. A beautiful art house film from one of the art house greats that we both dearly love. Mr. Vim Vendors. Oh, my God. The art house, fart house. We love this guy. Vim Crazy because it's spelled with a W. Yeah, and so is Vendors. Oh, I mean, that's one thing that's wacky about him. It is wacky. I love him, Vendors. You all know this. This is a new film from him, Perfect Days. Mm. And I think it actually might even be in my top five Vendors. Great mm. late period film from The Master. That's what I like to say about him now. <laughs> um, but it is a real simple slice of life film that follows Koji Yakuhusho as a guy that he's as a guy. He's basically Japanese Kenny. He's like a cleaner of public toilets around Japan. <laughs> and you see him going around and cleaning these toilets. That's awesome. And it's a really undramatic An art house film. toilet movie? It is it's beautiful. It is far and away one of the most beautiful films I've seen this year. Members mm. is so collaborative, like the way that he kind of like uh, finds the 
not just like an outsider perspective as like mm. a non-Japanese filmmaker making a film in Japan completely in Japanese. He is able to find through collaboration uh, the the interior perspective as well. Mm. Uh, and it kind of, it does remind me of uh, Rolf de Heer's work in like his collaborations. I think it works really well. Rolf de Heer also has another great movie this year, Survival Kindness. I'll sneak that in there too. Um, All right, you're sneaking in recommendations sneak in within recommendations. But Perfect Days, it's just so simple, so beautiful, really, really, really lovely. And it kind of captures something very warm and that satisfaction built by repetition that you mm. kind of see in him doing the same job day in, day out, hitting the same toilets every day. Do you see inside these toilets? You see inside the cubicle. You see inside like the little public toilets. And it makes me go, man, Japan has got beautiful toilets. We've got like those toilets in the street that are like self-clean and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you go, uh, you go into those, it can be a fucking nightmare. Oh, dude. They're never, they're never pleasant. And immediately after seeing this movie, I went to the bathroom at the Vent Cinemas on George Street, mm. the downstairs one. Mm. One of the most harrowing experiences of my entire life. Mm. It was just, it was a sin inside there. They, uh, <laughs> in Japan, the toilets are beautiful. You could eat a meal in there. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't, yeah. <laughs> but you could. Yeah. They are beautifully clean. Uh, whereas here in Sydney, where we live, those street toilets with the automatically opening doors, mm. horrific stuff. Have you ever seen one of those open when someone's in there? Yeah. I have a vivid memory of like walking past one with our dear friend Sam Campbell. Yeah. He needed to use the bathroom. Go, oh, these self-clean. It'll be great in there. And he goes in. Immediately, the, he walked out. The door didn't even get a chance to shut behind him. And he goes, you just have to go in and see what's going on. And what we went into, uh, let's just say Jackson Pollock should be suing them for copyright infringements. Mm, brown poles. <laughs> but that's my picks for the year so far. Keep them on the radar. Some of them are already on some kind of home video release, a streaming release. Mm. Some of them will be there soon. And some of them will be in cinema soon as well uh, as we kind of eke out the rest of the year. And do you have, of the all the films you mentioned, do you have a pick for number one at the moment? May, December, no May, contest December. for me. The Todd Haynes film, it is everything that I want in uh, a tourist film, something that feels quite fresh. It is beautiful. As far as the kind of mainstream action-adventure films go, it would probably be uh, across the Spider-Verse. I yeah, had right. a fantastic time with that film. It is just – I really, really, really dug it. You love cartoons. I do like animation, yes. You um, told me once you can only finish to hentai. I said that to you in confidence. I may have said it with confidence, so you didn't know it was a secret. You said it with a lot of confidence, (laughs) and then you flipped your laptop around and showed me. (laughs) Check this shit out. And I said, that's, wow. That's a lot. Yowzers. I said, yeah, you turned into a cartoon. Yeah. A howling wolf, if you will. I went full fucking Super Saiyan. <laughs> uh, but that's what I want to put on people's radars. Cameron, is there anything you wanted to put on people's radars? Uh, a movie called Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which as I'm sitting here talking to you, I think might be one of only three new films that I've seen this year. <laughs> Up there with John Wick, Chapter 4, and... Indiana Jones, Chapter 5. Wow. Dial of Destiny. I think they're the only new films I've seen in cinema. You love old man action over here. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Apparently that's my genre. Men 60 plus doing stunts. (laughs) 
I love those stunts in Indiana Jones Dollar Destiny. The way they get them to do them, you get the horse to do the stunt. Get the horse or the car to do the stunt. Or a young man with Harrison Ford's face superimposed mm. onto it. Anthony Ingruber is that young man. And he has a bright future ahead of him. He He's someone I'm fascinated by. He became a viral sensation making these impressionistic videos of uh, Harrison Ford on YouTube. And then back in the day on those little forums on IMDb, everyone's going, this guy should play the young Harrison in all the movies. And then he did, and then Major he did. Madeline. And, and now this one. Yeah, very exciting. Exciting. Proud of you, Anthony, out there. Hopefully he's in the What Lies Beneath prequel that comes oh, out. Oh, What Lies Above. <laughs> okay, it's a porno. I'd watch that. I'd like to end today by giving you some trivia from mm-hmm. this week in film and entertainment history. A lot of significant things have happened. This is a, you know, every week, every day, you can look up online and see what happened today. And there's wow. often some very exciting stuff that took place. Oh, and I'm a nostalgic fella these days. Allow me to soak back in, close my eyes, into my orb of nostalgia and let these feelings waft over me. I want you to feel all the feelings of mm-hmm. what happened in the past. I this will experience week. all the feels. <laughs> This week in mm-hmm. 1989, the sitcom Seinfeld <gasps> debuted. The Seinfeld Chronicles, what it's like to be a young comic in New York City if your best friend is George Costanza. That's true. Imagine, if you will, being a working comedian with a schlubby best friend. God, it's hard for me to imagine. Probably easier for you to. <laughs> <laughs> Seinfeld aired for nine seasons. During that time, Jerry officially hooked up with... How many women would you like to guess? Um, Probably three monogamous <laughs> characters. <laughs> three, including Elaine. <laughs> How many was it? How many girlfriends? 73. 73. Not a bad innings, Not fella. A famous swordsman, Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, everyone goes, wow, the Chronicles of Seinfeld. Those were the real Chronicles. Why didn't we see those? <laughs> I'd love it if there was a whole extra nine seasons mm-hmm. of just Jerry banging. <laughs> Oh my god, well there is that Seinfeld porno What? Have you ever seen that Seinfeld porno? There's a Seinfeld porno? Yeah, I remember seeing the trailer for it And it looks so spot on to Seinfeld Like they used it, they recreated the set They recreate the set, everyone looks like Jerry and George I'd love to see Kramer's entrance Well, he does, (laughs) he's really great, that guy that does Kramer And the trailer was so spot on And I remember being like, oh my god, it's going to be like new Seinfeld episodes And then me and my friends downloaded them and watched them At the start, Jerry's doing stand-up, still talking about dildos and all that stuff. You're like, "Mm, not that funny. And then the rest was just Kramer fucking women. Hang on a second. (laughs) Just like, and we immediately go, well, this isn't what we thought it was going to be. It just turned it off. I need to just step into your brain for a second Mm -hmm. here. You saw an ad for a Seinfeld porno, Mm -hmm. and your first thought was, wow, this will be like new Seinfeld episodes. It looks so real. If you watch the trailer, it looks real. And so you and your friend downloaded the porn. Friends, it was multiples. Multiple friends. We're like, Seinfeld night. And then we just watched Seinfeld. And you watched porn. You and your friends just sat around and watched porn. We're just like, "Mm, this is porn. This is not what we thought it would be. We thought it would be more Seinfeld than porn. Did you think it would just be porn actors doing Seinfeld? I think I did. And then it was like, oh, yeah, I forgot they're going to fuck and you see it as well. It's not nice. And be honest, did you jack off to it? No, it's not it's not in that. It's not. It doesn't tick those boxes for me. Oh, not even to Newman? Oh, hello, Jerry. <laughs> How very nice of you to put your penis inside of me, Jerry. I'm about to come, Jerry. <laughs> hello, Jerry. Goodbye, Jerry. Oh, that's nasty. Jerry had 73 girlfriends. Mm-hmm. George had 62. Oh, 
Elaine had 50. Whoa. Kramer had 27. Mm -hmm. Newman only had four. Yep. But one of them is Kramer's mum. Yes, of course. I remember those episodes. Babs. Babs. Yes. This week in 1969, production began on the filming of an Australian action film called Ned Kelly. Oh, Mick Jagger? The Mick Jagger one. Mm -hmm. Mick Jagger was in the role of Ned Kelly. Uh, He was described in the papers as the first sexy Ned Kelly. Wow. But in my opinion, he's the third sexiest Ned Kelly. Who do you think I'm putting above him as the sexiest? Heath Ledger, number one. No question. You're close. Heath Ledger, number two. Okay, number one, Yahoo. Yahoo serious. (laughs) I think Yahoo serious is sexy. I agree. He's got something. He's got something. He's got a rockin' bod. Mm -hmm. He's got hair you can really grab onto. And he's elusive. He's mysterious. Yeah, he so you is, know he's discreet. He is mysterious. Yeah, discretion is the thing that you <laughs> look for most. In a lover. In a lover. In a lover, I look for discretion. I, I like to, I, I like my lovers to have not been seen publicly for <laughs> 10 to 15 years. I need someone that's really good at keeping a secret. <laughs> that's what I need. If he can hide somewhere around Avalon, Palm mm-hmm. Beach, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly where, but somewhere in that area. Wow. And maybe be spotted. Once a decade. And if I could apply one more adjective, uh, reckless. This guy's reckless. Mm-hmm. He does not wear condoms. <laughs> he wears a nice metal sheath with a little hole cut out in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, imagine hiding those beautiful lips of Mick Jagger behind that metal bucket head. Well, have you seen this stupid poster for it? It's like half... A mm-hmm. half Ned Kelly yeah. mask, and then the other half is just mixed face. Yeah, because they got to show off. That's really star. the marketing department yeah. working, bending over backwards to show Mick Jagger. Like, face okay, there's two thing. icons: Mick Jagger, one of the most famous men, and Ned Kelly, one of the most famous icons. Uh, cut it in half. Yeah, let's use a bit of both. That's an interesting movie. It's quite fun. I, I like that Ned Kelly movie. I've never seen it, but when I went to the old Melbourne jail where uh, Ned Kelly was famously hung by the neck till dead, <laughs> they play. I can't get. They have like pictures of Ned Kelly and his death mask and all that stuff. But then they also have photos of Mick Jagger in there as well in the same exhibition. I heard you can kiss the lips. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, instead of having the eye hole, he should have just had lip holes. (laughs) I'm a bush ranger. Oh, yeah. Can't you see how I move? I'm Ned Kelly. I'm going (laughs) to hold you up for money. All right, this week in 1977, the James Bond film The Spy Who Loved Me came out, Mm. starring Randy Roger Moore as James Bond. Oh, yes. Uh, The name's Bond, shake and stir it. That's not not really it. Oh, yeah, Roger. Do it again? The name's Bond, Mr. Mr. Uter Kill. Is this... Is this um, Sylvester Stallone as James Bond? <laughs> yeah, it's my audition for James Bond. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. I didn't know you auditioned for hey, James yeah, Bond. Yeah, auditioned for all the great roles in history. I got a bunch of them myself. I got a few of the great roles and some that I just missed out on getting. So uh, what was your audition for James Bond? Oh, my audition for James Bond was, uh, hey, uh, create the balls and rock the chef. <laughs> <laughs> From uh, the famous blowjob audio. <laughs> That's my favourite performance of his. Randy Roger Moore as James Bond and Richard Keel as Jaws. As Jaws. We love Richard Keel. That's Mr. Gilmore's jacket. <laughs> 
<laughs> Famously, we mainly know him as Mr. Larson from Happy Gilmore, but he did also play the gigantic metal tooth Jaws mm-hmm. in a couple of Bond movies. Here's a little interview that IGN did with Richard Keel a few years ago. They asked him, why does Jaws have metal, metal teeth? Mm. You know, why, why, why does that character of Jaws have big metal gear-like teeth? And Richard Keel replied, because the producer wanted him to. Great answer. <laughs> and it is truthful and it makes sense immediately. And then he said, they were actually very uncomfortable to wear. Mm. And then the IGN journalist said, did you channel the pain of wearing them into your performance of Jaws? Let me guess. And Richard Keel replied, come on, man, it's just a movie. <laughs> Great interview. <laughs> Great interview. <laughs> Great interview. I love it when you start and keep it real like that. That's so good, eh? So that's all I wanted to share with you. Very exciting. Oh, fantastic. Well, it's been a pleasure getting back on the mic with you, Cameron. It's been a pleasure sitting on the lounge with you for the first time. And we will be doing many more of these podcasts together. Absolutely. Hopefully another 2,000. Hopefully we get to 2,000 episodes on this one. Hitler wanted a thousand year Reich. We want a 2000 season podcast. And that is one of the many, many differences between us and that man. We have almost nothing in common with him politically in any kind of way. We, I would say we are very, very different from that man. And our goals are extremely different. That is true. Uh, we're going to be talking about more in a few weeks. We're going to be talking about Barbie Oppenheimer. We're yeah. going to be exploring pop culture in different ways. Kind of doing what have you been watching? What do we want to watch? All those kinds of things yeah in the meantime where can we find more from you cameron oh good grief i'm on instagram at i am cameron james i just recently joined tiktok he's a tiktok star i have sold out and finally joined tiktok the kids said hey old man you don't belong here and Mm -hmm. i said listen this is also for people in their 30s yeah. who want to post stand-up clips and comedy videos. And you're going to show them a thing or two there. And we'll have some <laughs> clips of this podcast out there. I'm on Twitter, on Instagram, on Letterboxd, wow. at This Is Alexi. Find me on all of those. And that's pretty much all you want That's pretty much it. Right yeah. Anything you'd like to say about cinema before we leave? Uh, I would say cinema is one of the greatest gifts that God has ever bestowed on man. Hmm. Because it's their dreams Hmm. printed out onto film Hmm. and shined on a darkened wall. Hmm. And I think God is great for that. (laughs) And I thank him every day for it. Interesting. Him or her or it or whatever you want to call God. It, Pennywise. (laughs) God is Pennywise. God is it, Pennywise. Uh, Thank you for joining us on Special Features. We'll be back very soon. Bye. Bye.